Have you ever wondered what was going through the paralytic's mind? I mean, he's laying on the mat, <laughs> and his four friends come to him and like, bro, we got a plan. Well, was he excited about it? I mean, was he freaking out a little bit? Like, yeah, I heard about this Jesus cat, but like, really? Can he really? And all along the way, uh, the four friends are, are, are talking like, all right, like, how are we going to make this happen? We got to get him inside. We like got to get him to Jesus. Like, so Jesus is like close enough. He can touch him and probably having conversations about it. And, and, and then they finally show up and the place is packed. I mean, like packed out. And the hope that the paralytic man had probably maybe even fades a little bit. In fact, maybe, maybe even some little bit of embarrassment starts to set in. His friends have carried him all the way here and Maybe even they're wondering. But they're not afraid to take a risk. Can you imagine what's going through their minds? <laughs> they're literally carrying their paralytic friend up a ladder to get on the roof of a house. And, and they're ripping someone's roof off like a legit actual roof. It's not just a few palm fronds. What, what are they thinking? Will this work? Is Jesus who he said he is? They believe enough to carry their friend. They believe enough to rip a roof off. And I'm sure the last thing they're thinking about is don't drop the rope. <laughs> if you have your Bibles today, I'd love you to open up to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to be spending some time this morning. And uh, while you're turning there, Josh uh, didn't tell you this, but um, vertical plays are an important part in our story as a church plant. Uh, we call ourselves TLC or the local church, Grand Rapids. And when we were actually planning to plant, uh, Josh and his team were super gracious, kind, spent time with us. Uh, our first budget, we had no clue what we were doing. Uh, Josh helped us out because you guys were just a couple years down the road. So a lot of the things that Josh had learned, some of uh, his successes and mistakes, he was able to help us so we didn't have to make the same ones. Uh, he told us about some stuff that we're like, dude, that can't work. And then we tried it and it worked. And so a lot of uh, what TLC is in our very early stages uh, uh, we look back and, and we say thanks. So thank you, Vertical Church. You've played a role in our planting, in people coming to know Jesus. Uh, and that is Josh's heart, Jess's heart, this team's heart. And I know it's your heart too. So let's continue to get at it, right? Let's go. <laughs> Man, every time I have a microphone like this, all I want... I just want to beatbox, but I can't, I can't. Um, Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5. All right, let's get into... Uh, verse 17, what I want to do this morning, okay, what I'd like to do is I'd like for us to kind of journey through the story a little bit. We'll learn uh, a little bit of what's going on in the context, what Luke's trying to do, and, and, and why he shares this story. Uh, and then what I'd like to do is share another story with you that will hopefully help the story in Luke uh, make sense for us today, like why it still matters for us today. And then at the end of that, I'd like to just kind of share three thoughts as we close. It's going to be a really simple morning. 
But I think God may wish to say something to you if you're willing to allow him. And that goes for all of you that are watching online as well. God doesn't have you where you're at right now on accident. He has you where you're at here online because there's something he wants to say to you this morning. Let's open ourselves up to it. Fair? All right. Luke chapter 5. Luke shares this story starting at verse 17. says, one day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They'd come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and even Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I was always trying to think, like, how did this actually happen, right? Uh, when I was younger, I always thought, well, okay, this is, must just be like, it's probably like just some leaves on, right, like some palm fronds. That, so they probably just moved a few palm fronds out of the way. But the older I got, the more I realized that's probably kind of stupid, all right? The, the, these folks had real houses. They didn't have just like some palm fronds hanging over there. How did they actually get through? Uh, in the story, we learn that they're in Capernaum, okay? That's on the northern part. That's where Jesus did most of his ministry, the northern part of Israel. And uh, we actually know from excavations what Capernaum houses look like, how they were built. Um, Luke, though, is writing his gospel to Greeks, okay? Not to Jews, to Greeks. Uh, we think possibly in Rome. We're not 100% sure. You've got Luke and Acts. Those are like uh, part one and part two of Luke's kind of like explanation of Jesus' life and then how the church is kind of born after Jesus' death and resurrection. So Luke is explaining this to Gentiles, to Greeks. And so he talks about tiles being on a roof, all right? We don't think that there were very many homes in Capernaum that would have used tiles, uh, most actually were probably made uh, with a mixture of mud and thatch, and uh, it was thick, thick and almost as hard as concrete, all right? This was not like an easy thing for them to do. Now, it's possible that it could have been one of the few homes in Capernaum that actually used tiles. We're not sure if uh, Luke was just trying to help his Greek audience understand how they did this or not. Either way, if they're tiles or if it's kind of this kind of cement, mud, roof, they were doing some serious damage, okay? Like a lot of times we think, oh, they just, you know, pulled back the palm fronds and then, you know, pushed them back over and everything's good. No, no, like they were wrecking somebody's house. And this was like a nice crib, okay? All right, you didn't have big homes like this that you could fit lots of people in for Jesus to do teaching unless this was somebody who had some serious cash. This was somebody's like, Nice joint, all right? And so they're literally ripping the roof off of a very nice house. That takes some guts. I mean, seriously. I can guarantee you that whoever owned the place knew what was happening. All right, they're in there. They're listening to Jesus. They start seeing stuff falling, stuff getting moved, stuff breaking. They're hearing pounding. Things getting slid around like they know. I guarantee you they probably would have had some servants too. 
that could have gone up there like, what in the heck are y'all doing? I kind of see it's probably two of them like busting through it and two of them standing there with like sticks. Like, don't even, we bought, we doing something and y'all ain't going to stop us. And they break a hole open in the thing and they begin to lower him down. That's a risk. That's a risk. Uh, we keep reading verse 20. I love this. This is kind of like the linchpin right here. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friends, friend, excuse me, your sins are forgiven. Now, I promise you this is not what the four men or the paralyzed man was expecting. Initially, they're like, dude, we didn't do all this like for his sins to be forgiven. But you see, Jesus understood something. The paralyzed man was going to walk, but the paralyzed man was also going to die one day. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew what he was setting up here. But Jesus wanted to offer something that was way better than simply the ability to walk. Jesus wanted to offer life. Life to the full and life for eternity. Like that's what Jesus came to bring. That's what Jesus desires for you and for me. Does he care about our physical bodies? Absolutely, 100%. Our physical bodies were Jesus' idea. So much so that he believed in our physical bodies that he put one on himself. He cares about it. But Jesus understood that there is something that is even more important than our physical bodies. And that is our soul. That is a relationship with God. And by forgiving the man's sins based on his friend's faith. God started a whole new trajectory. For the paralyzed man and the four that brought him. Keep reading with me. Verse 21. Actually, you know what? Um, there's a really important thing here because uh, in verse 20, before I jump off of that, uh, there's something about their faith that actually moves Jesus to act in this supernatural way. And when I say supernatural, I'm not even talking yet about the man getting healed because that hasn't happened yet. I'm talking about the fact that his sins have been forgiven. That is supernatural. It can only happen when God does it, okay? Uh, there's something that happens and it's connected to their faith. N.T. Wright, he's a New Testament scholar, like known all over the world. He's from England. So he sounds way cooler when he says this, but uh, this is a quote from him. He says, Jesus saw, speaking of the friends, their resourcefulness in opening up the roof tiles and letting him down as a sign that they really believed that God was at work and that all this effort would be worthwhile. Again and again, Jesus makes a connection between faith and the power of God. Again and again, Jesus makes a connection between faith and the power of God. What Jesus does is not the action that they expected with their faith, but it is actually more beautiful and powerful and has eternal ripples. Keep reading, verse 21. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law begin thinking to themselves. All right, now check it. In the, in the little kids video, right, they say it out loud, but in the Bible, it says that they're just thinking it in their heads, all right? Now, I think when they're thinking it, like, it's showing all over their face, okay? Like, giving Jesus a mad side eye, you know what I'm saying? Like, who is that? Who? So, uh, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy, they say to themselves? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew that they were what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. 
Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been laying on, and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Now, this is interesting here because this is the first time that Luke introduces us to the Pharisees. If you've been reading through Luke, you would see we don't know who these Pharisees are. Who are these cats? Uh, Luke begins to introduce them to us. In fact, he actually tells us that they have come from all over, not just from like the northern region in Capernaum. They're from like all over Galilee, the whole like area, as well as from Jerusalem, which is in the south. Like what he's saying is they've come from Judea, Jerusalem, like all over Israel. They're here to check out who this Jesus is. Uh, you see, the Pharisees were very, very connected to the kingdom of God. Like that was their thing. That was their jurisdiction. They were the ones that explained how the kingdom of God comes, how it's going to look, what you're supposed to do in it. And so they're the ones that kind of feel like they own it. All right. And what they want, what their desire is, is to get more and more of the Israelites to actually follow the law more strictly, harder, better, care more, like do whatever it takes. Because if you follow the law, that's how we're going to force God's hand and God's going to have to bring his kingdom. And they thought when it meant that he would bring his kingdom, that he was going to then take over and they were going to rule. All right. It was about power. It was about politics. It was about the promises that they thought that were only for them, even though it had been clear all throughout the Old Testament that they were intended to be a blessing for the nations. They were interested in what they would get. And so they're there to check Jesus out because Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. They're like, yo, little man, that's our territory. All right. You want to talk about the kingdom of God? You need to check with us first. You need to get the Pharisee stamp of approval, right? Right? you got to do it on our terms, for our purposes, in our ways. And Jesus isn't about that. Jesus is about his father's business. And so Jesus is sitting there, and he is proclaiming the kingdom of God, and the Pharisees don't like it. Jesus has done something that shocks them. He's forgiven sins, and he's not even at the temple. You can't forgive sins if you ain't at the temple. you got to go where they believe God was residing, where they believe that the sacrifices that they helped to administer were actually going to be the thing that would remove your sins. And what Jesus is saying is that I am God and God resides in me. I'm the new temple. Break this temple down and I'll rebuild it in three days, he told them later. You see, Jesus is showing them that it's not about power or promises or performance or perfection. That's not what actually activates God's power. It's not about politics. It's about faith, simple faith, active faith. That's actually what causes God to move. You see, they kept wanting people to adhere to the law, to do better, to try harder, do it the way that we want, because they were trying to garner the power for themselves. Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm going to show you how the power gets activated. It's not in your strength. It's in your weakness. It's not in what you do. It's in your faith. Now, it's not in faith the way that you and I often think about faith. You see, when we think about faith, we think about something that happens up here. 
But the kind of faith that the Bible describes is not simply a faith that resides in our head. It's a faith that starts here, but then filters out to our extremities, our hands and our feet, our mouths, our hearts, the things that we actually do. You see, faith is not merely a thought. Faith has to be active. It wasn't enough that the four men thought Jesus could heal their friend. They actually had to pick up the mat and carry him there. They had to take risks that said, even when they didn't think they could get in, we'll rip us stinking roof off a house so that our friend can come in contact with Jesus. And they got even more than they bargained for. They not only saw their friend be able to get up and walk out carrying his mat with them, but his sins were forgiven. Eternity had been changed. Now, may I tell you another story, a story that I think will help to illustrate why this still matters today, why it matters to you and I. If you grew up in church, this story is one you've heard a bunch of times, right? If you grew up like me, you probably had it on flannel graphs. Some of y'all young folk don't even know. I heard wise timers is 45 and up. I was like, dang, I did not know I was a wise timer, but I'm a wise timer, y'all. This is a story that we've heard so much that it's easy for everybody to just kind of be like, yeah, 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 amen, I get it, I'm with you, yeah, absolutely, it's about faith, and like, we got to do something with it. Like, if you grew up in church, like, this is not new news. And I don't know about you, but like, I've heard the story so many times that like, I can hear it and I can agree with it, and it doesn't make a hill being a difference in my heart, in my head, and any of my actions, right? That, that's sometimes uh, one of the downsides of actually growing up in church. You, you can hear things so often, you get inoculated to the good news of the gospel. Now, if you're new to church, like maybe somebody invited you, you're, it's like your first time, you're still checking out Jesus. Well, what I'm going to talk about with faith, like I want you to especially pay attention because it might be something that God is calling to you today. And you know it because you feel it in your heart right now. Like, ooh, something's like, there's something different about what's happening in here. Let me, let me fill you in on something that's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. We believe that when the body of Christ gathers together, Christ as the head is uniquely present. He's here. He's speaking to you and to me. So whether this is your first week or whether this is like your 5,030th week, like there's something that God desires to say to us today. And let's not miss it, even if we've heard this a number of times. Simple truths are sometimes the easiest things to agree with, but the hardest things to actually follow through with. I know that in my own life. I'm not speaking to you as somebody high on a mountain, I'm right down on the floor. We, I'm not even supposed to do this because I'm out of the light, but I'm right here with you. You all online, all y'all here, we're on the same playing field. Now, there's a couple. I got a picture of them. Uh, This is actually Lloyd and Phyllis Burgefield. Um, It's their wedding picture. How, how, like, like, that's that, like, 50s wedding, like, like, traditional, classic, looking good. So, um, I, I never even had the opportunity uh, to speak much to Lloyd, but the story really revolves around him. Uh, Lloyd actually passed away just a couple of months ago. I've talked to Phyllis uh, a number of times. Um, the story is actually about Lloyd's parents. Uh, Lloyd's parents were Elmer and Lena, Lena Lenore. 
Elmer and Lena uh, had a farm back in the 20s and 30s, a medium-sized family farm in Arcola, Illinois, small little town, and uh, they loved Jesus. So there's another character in this story that I need to introduce you to. Uh, it's these folks that uh, the tall guy, his name is Bliss. Uh, that's his wife, Edna. Uh, you need to know a little bit about Bliss's background before uh, the story will make a, a lot of sense. But basically, uh, Bliss wound up knocking on Elmer and Lenore's door one day, wondering if the old dilapidated house that was on the corner of their farm and maybe 10 or 20 acres that they had, if he could rent it from them. The thing was, it's a small town, and in small towns, everybody knows each other, right? Like, they know where you come from, they know your background, and uh, Bliss, he, he had a bit of a rough background. Uh, not really any fault of his own, uh, but when Bliss was born, uh, his mother actually died two hours later. She had a hemorrhage, and they weren't able to stop it back then, and she held Bliss on, on her chest, and, and she named him, and then three hours later, she was into eternity. Bliss's dad um, struggled with alcohol, uh, was incredibly angry that his wife had died, and so blamed Bliss, his baby, his son, and disowned him and never brought him home from the hospital. Walked away. Uh, Bliss didn't even know who his father was, even though his father only lived uh, about two miles away from where he grew up didn't meet him until he was eight years old. Bliss was wet nursed by his aunt who had just recently had a baby herself. And so she basically um, fed him, take, took care of him until he was about six, seven months old, till he was weaned. And then he was passed off to his maternal grandparents who were quite old and they raised him the best that they could, but they were pretty old and, and, and getting a little feeble. And so then another aunt and uncle kind of took care of him for another few years. And then when he was 14 years old, the only way that he could finish a high school was if he actually left and moved into the hatchery. Uh, literally, it was like an egg hatchery that had just one small little bedroom there. He worked in the hatchery after school, went to school, worked in the hatchery, and there was a family that owned it, and they kind of made sure that he got some food, but he was on his own from about 14 years uh, on. What Bliss had learned in his life is that uh, people come and go. Can't really rely on them. You got to watch out for yourself. He was a hard-working dude. Wasn't like mean or anything like that necessarily, but he was pretty walled off. What you see is what you got. And now here he is knocking on Elmer and Lena's door. And it's right at the start of the Great Depression. So it hasn't fully gripped all of America yet, but it's starting. And he needs to earn a living, take care of his young family. I think at the time he had two kids and maybe his wife was pregnant with their third or they had one and they were pregnant with the second. I don't remember exactly. Elmer and Lena, because they loved Jesus, said, you know what? Um, we need to help out with this young family. We're going to take a risk. And so they did. They said, you know what? You can, you can have 20 acres. You can rent it. You can stay in the house that's there. Just kind of fix it up. Well, Bliss and Edna, they had nothing. So they're going into debt, trying to get the needed equipment that they need, and it's right as the Depression is really starting to take over. And so over the next year or two, as things are getting harder and harder, like they're just poorer and poorer. Now, when they first moved in, uh, 
Lena and Elmer, they went to Bliss and Ed and they said, hey, would you guys like to come to church with us? Uh, but the thing was, is uh, Bliss really wasn't interested. Never really been to church, wasn't his thing. Wasn't sure that he could really trust that there was a God who was good, especially if he's supposed to be a father because his own dad had bailed on him, never even knew him. So why would I think that there's some God out there who is a father who's going to be any different? And so never really wanted to, but he also didn't want to be a jerk because like, hey, I'm getting to like rent this property that nobody else really wants to. And so very gently, he says, no, nah, I don't, not right now. Thank you. Uh, Elmer and Lena knew they could have forced the issue, right? Oh, you rent from us? You really should come to church with us. But you know what? They know that that's not how God acts either. And so they said, that's fine. Just know the invite's always there. And what they began to do, Elmer and Lena, is love on this poor family. They would bring them food, leftovers, make meals for them, just love on them. They even started doing kind of guerrilla warfare love, where they would go over to where the clothesline was, where Bliss and Edna had put their clothes out to dry after washing. And they would fill the pockets with fruit that was expensive that Bliss and Edna would never be able to afford. So that in the morning when they woke up and went to take their clothes off the line, they would have all this fruit in it. Uh, Lena would uh, at times go over and put uh, a single piece of hard candy in each one of the kids' pockets in their clothes. And when they started doing that, they began to notice that uh, Bliss and Edna didn't have any money to buy new clothes. And so as their clothes just from hard work and kids playing around started to get threadbare and started to have holes and tears. And so they would take the clothes off the clothesline at dark and bring it back to their house. And Lena would thread, stitch up the holes and put patches over top of things and bring it back in the dark and hang it back up. Now they knew who was doing it, but it was this quiet, like gorilla love that she was showing them. And they continued to take the risk of inviting. And for a long time, Bliss and Edna kept saying no. But eventually, because of the love that they were shown, Edna finally said, you know what? I would like to come to church because uh, the God that you guys show me is a good God. And so because Edna said yes, Bliss was like, oh, great. Now, now I have to go. Like, I can't say no if my wife's going. So he put on a stiff upper lip and put on his best clothes, and walked into church. And a couple months later, Bliss's wife, Edna, said, I believe that this God is real and that his name is Jesus and he can transform my life. And so she gave her life to Christ. And it was a couple months later that Bliss did the exact same thing. Because of the love of an Elmer and Alina who were willing to take risk after risk carrying this young, poor couple to Jesus, it transformed their lives. So there's three things that I think God wants to say to us today. Three thoughts that I'd just simply like to close with, all right? The first thing is this. The fertilizer of faith is risk. The fertilizer of faith is risk. Look, we talk about it all the time. Like, we need to grow in our faith. We want, to grow, we want to have a bigger faith. We want to believe for more things. We want to believe that God can do all of that and more, right? We talk about that. Like, if you're a Christian, you've heard people talk about this all the time. Look, you want to know how to grow in your faith? And I don't care if you're a brand new believer, if you're just checking Jesus out, or if you've known him for all your life. 
you got to take some risks. You got to be willing to carry a paralyzed man through the wilderness, rip off a roof to Jesus. Like if you want to see faith grow, if you want to see the kind of faith that causes God's heart to act in power, you got to take risks, friends. I'm just telling you, that's the reality. That's exactly what Elmer and Lena had to do. They had to keep taking risks. They had to say, you know what? I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to give up. I'll tear a roof off if I need to. I'll put fruit in your pockets. I'll give your kids candy. Hype them up. The second thing that I want to say is your kids are watching. Your kids are watching. So uh, I told you about Elmer and Lena. I don't even have a picture of them. Don't know who, don't know them, never met them. But I do know their kids. I know Lloyd, not well, and Phyllis. I've met actually Lloyd and Phyllis's grandkids. I've talked to them. You see, Elmer and Lena had an active faith, a faith that didn't just reside up here. It was a faith that took risks and continued to step out, right, and be hands and feet of Jesus. And because they had an active faith that actually showed itself, their kids picked it up. It wasn't just something that they learned up here. It was something that they learned in here and out here. And as a result, they got passed on. And now it's been passed on to Lloyd and Phyllis, and Lloyd and Phyllis have passed it on to their kids, and Lloyd and Phyllis's grandkids now are following Jesus. I know because I've interacted with them. Your kids are watching. You want to pass on your faith? You want to see that go on to the next generation? Then model it. Show it. Act on it. Don't just talk about it. Don't just think that it's going to be enough that if you show up at church that something's going to change in their lives. Man, they need to see that it's real. And I'm not just talking as somebody who sits up here. I care about my own kids. I want my kids to own their faith. And if that's going to happen, I have to show active faith. But when we do, friends, when we do that, when we act on it, not only does our faith grow as we take those risks, but our faith is passed on to the generations coming up behind us. And the third thing, the third thought that I have for you is simply this. The first invite is for you. You see, the, the, the invite wasn't the four friends coming to their, to their paralyzed buddy and saying, hey, man, we want to do this. Our invite is to take you to Jesus. No, the first invite was God to the four friends to say, will you believe for your friend? Will you believe for your friend? And they had to say yes to that invite first. And when they did, though, then they could pick up that mat. And then they could go. And the same thing is true. Look, friends, Easter's coming, right? Easter's coming. The invite first is for you. Will you trust God that he actually wants to transform the lives of people in this community? Look, when I lived out here, I was a Hamiltuckian, all right? Lived down in Hamilton, loved it, man. We used to think love that area. God loves Hamilton. God loves Holland. God loves Zeeland. God loves Hudsonville and Bentime and all those other little crazy places that some of y'all live. You know it. God loves the people here. And there are some folks that you know that you've interacted with. Maybe they're friends of yours, family of yours, neighbors of yours, co-workers of yours. They don't have the hope that you have. They don't know this Jesus. They think that they've got to figure it all out on their own and they're struggling. And if anything has said this past year has shown us, we can't do it on our own. We weren't designed to do it on our own. And so they're looking for stuff. They might not acknowledge it. They might not admit it. They might put on that Facebook nice, right? That West Michigan face, like everything's cool. Everything's good. But you know, because you've been struggling too. And they're looking for somebody that will say, will you invite me? Will you just tell me? Right? Look, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's not going to require something. It will. 
You're going to have to take a risk. You will have to take a risk. But you know what? You have something worth risking. The reason that I'm saying the invite is for you is because you first have to take the invite that I think God is giving you today. Um, part of this amazing story for me is uh, the very fact that we're here in Zeeland, Michigan, 100 years later, talking about some old farmer couple, right? How crazy is that? I don't even, I like, you never heard of Elma and Lena before, all right? Here I am talking about them 100 years later. You want to know why I'm talking about them 100 years later? It's because that guy on the bottom left corner is Bliss Scott, my grandpa. That's me. I used to be cute. And that little green and black, that's me. You see, Alma and Lena cared about my parents so much they were willing to take them, carry them to Jesus. <laughs> It transformed my grandparents' life, and not just their life, but their kids' lives and their grandkids' lives, and I'm living proof of it. I'm living proof that if you're willing to take a risk, if you really believe that Jesus is worth it, and if you'll say, you know what, I'm not going to give up, even if it means i got to tear a roof off, I'm going to continue to love, I'm going to continue to invite, even if they say no, even if they keep saying no, I'm going to keep saying, hey, but let me just tell you, Jesus is so good, and I want you to know him. Why? Because it has eternal ramifications. Look, friends, I want this church, vertical church, to be talked about generations from now. I want there to be some kid, some man or woman, a hundred years from now, that's having a conversation like, yeah, my, my great-grandfather, he got invited to this church. Weird name, vertical. I don't even understand it. It's so weird. Like, why do they name it vertical? I don't get it. But somebody invited them, and they found Jesus, and it transformed their life, and not just their life, but the lives of generations to come behind. Friends, don't you want to be a part of that story? That's the story I want to be a part of. I'm grateful that there's an Elmer and Alina. And I'm grateful for what they did to my grandparents, and I'm grateful that I get to be a part of that story, but I want to be a part of stories that are happening generations from now. So friends, let's take the risk together. Easter's coming. You've got a couple weeks. So here's what I'd like you to do right now. Just close your eyes. Just right now, just close your eyes. And I just want you to ask God, like, God, who are you asking me to take a risk for? Who's that person? Just, just sit with God. We have a God who speaks to us, who wants to communicate to us. Who's the face? Who's the name that he's putting in your mind? Some of you are in high school or middle school, and you're probably thinking, this is for my parents. No, this is for you too. Who is the kid in your homeroom, in your third hour? Who's that person? Now, I want you to get that name, that face in your mind, and I just want you to start asking God, God, what kind of a risk is it worth? Maybe they'll think I'm weird. Maybe they'll think I'm crazy. Maybe they'll think this thing or whatever, but God, help me. And then I want you to ask God right now, just say, God, start giving me opportunities to have a spiritual conversation. Give me opportunities. And God, uh, if it means I need to create an opportunity, help me create one. Look, friends, we've been talking about let's go. God has things for you and I to do. Father God, we, we want to be a part of a church that, that is willing to take risks. We want to be a part of a church that will 
take our friends. We will carry them to you, Jesus. We'll rip roofs off so that they can be with you and experience the forgiveness of sins, the healing of our lives, eternity forever changed, generations impacted. God, that's the church we want to be a part of. So help us. And God, help us not just talk about it. Help us not just amen it. Help me not just sit up here and be all passionate, this thing and the other, and then walk out these doors and forget. God, let us, let me, let me practice it. Give me opportunities. Those folks you put in my mind, God, give me more. (laughs) Give me more of them. Help me to take more risk. Help these folks to, to say, yes, yes, I will. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for taking the risk to leave heaven to come to earth knowing that you were going to have to die on a cross in our place. Thank you for taking that punishment. But God, thank you ultimately for raising back to life, conquering sin and death forever so that we can have a relationship with you, live with you, have eternity with you. God, I can't wait. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.